0: So I want to tell you guys a story. I don't think most of y'all have heard this one yet. When I was in the first grade, my mom worked at a daycare, okay? And so, you know, the daycare was open until like 5 or 5.30 because that's when the parents got off for work, right, and they could come pick up their kids. So my mom and uh, one of her really close friends named Mia, they worked at this daycare, and me and my buddy Larry, who was Mia's son, who's the same age as me, would always go to the daycare after, after school, for a few hours you know and when you're in first grade and you're hanging around like three and four year olds they think you're really cool and you think you're really cool right because you're older than them okay just like when you guys like you know how sometimes like elementary schoolers think middle schoolers are cool and middle schoolers think high schoolers are cool right it's the same thing so 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 we would hang out on the playground for like two hours right and, and we would always swing as high as we could on the swings and jump off. Anybody else do that when you were kids, right? Like you get up as high as you can, like you think you're going to go over the thing, which you never even, you know, but, and then you jump off. So we would do this all the time. We did this hundreds of times. We did this thing hundreds of times. Well, one day I landed wrong and exactly what angelo just said i broke this arm right here broke it right about there both bones all the way through so that like my whole wrist was like up here it was bad like the whole wrist was in a place it's not supposed to be and when you're in the first grade you don't like you know like when older people get hurt they can kind of walk along. you know when you're in the first grade you've like i just lay there on the ground screaming for help right because that's all you can do when you're in the first grade and your arm's broken like that say, like, larry ran in to get get my mom or whatever and and so I lay there screaming for help, and that's what I needed. I and, and then when my mom got here, my mom got to me, what could she do? Nothing. She's not a doctor, you know. My mom doesn't have any medicine, so she needed help too. So we get in the car, and we go to the ER, you know, and, and they're the ones who give me the help. But in that moment when I was laying there on the ground, arm broken, crying like a little kid because I was a little kid, what I needed more than anything else was help. Okay, tonight we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. All right, Acts chapter 3. If you want to pull up U version, you can get there. I'll have it up on the screen as well. And starting in verse 1, the scripture goes like this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Okay, and that's where we're going to stop. Normally, we read this whole story. If you've been in church, you've heard the rest of the story. But tonight, we're not going to read the rest of the story. We're going to stop right there. This man, in verse 2, it says he was lame from birth. What does it mean to be lame? And it's not like what we call lame, like you're lame. No. Yeah, it means he couldn't walk. Okay, this is a dude who, this is a grown adult man who, from the time he was born, had never walked. He had never been able to walk. His legs weren't physically capable. He didn't have the strength in his legs to just do the simple act of standing up and walking. Okay? So his entire life, he had needed help to do everything. Okay? When it came time to, you know, he didn't have a wheelchair he could put next to his bed. Like nowadays, if people are, you know, uh, what's the word? Not quadriplegic because that's all four. But uh, whatever the one where they where their legs don't work, something plegic paraplegic paraplegic is the word i was looking for uh where their legs don't work if people are you know they can have a a a wheelchair by their bed they can slide right into it they can do all kind of crazy stuff and take it back then no if you couldn't walk. In fact, we have a cousin who's paraplegic. That dude has the strongest arms you will ever see. He will break you in half with his arms. It's ridiculous. He's skinny as a rail, but his arms are, because he he spent his whole life pulling himself around on the ground and stuff. It's ridiculous how strong his upper body is. Anyways, um, so back in that day, though, this dude needed help for everything. He couldn't get up out of bed. He couldn't dress himself. He couldn't do anything without help, and his whole life was people would help him. They would carry him to this gate, And he would sit there and ask for more help. He would beg for money. So his whole life was asking for help. His whole existence came down to needing and asking for help. Okay? This is a really, really good uh, metaphor, example, for how we are when we don't have Jesus. Right? When we don't have Jesus, we are lame. We cannot live the life, like I was talking about earlier, the, the full life, life more abundant that Jesus has for us. When we are without Jesus, we need help to get to Jesus, right? If you if you, just like this dude needed help to get where he was going, when you don't know Jesus, you need help to get to Jesus. You need somebody, just like Regina needed help in the, in the video clip. Re, Regina needed help to find Henry. She needed Emma's help. And, and in our lives, we all needed help to get to Jesus. Now, you're here. You got the help. Your parents or a friend or somebody or a grandparent, somebody got you to church. Okay, somebody got you in a place where you can hear about Jesus, and that's awesome. Okay, I know at some point in my life, I needed help getting to Jesus. My parents took me to church, so they were the per- people who helped me, you know. And no matter who you are, somebody brought you in a place where you could hear about Jesus, and you could get that help. And so I want you to think about the, f- the person who first took you to church, okay, in your head. Kind of begin to, begin to think about that. It might have been, like I said, a parent, grandparent, friend. For me, it was... My whole family, they all go to church, and so it's kind of a joint effort. Like, there's a story when I was probably three or four, however old. Yeah, like three or four, I think, where we used to eat dinner at my granny's house before church on, on Wednesday nights. And she lived in this condo complex, whatever, and so there's parking lots on both sides of the big, tall building. And so one Wednesday night, we were leaving their house, leaving granny's house to go to, go to church. And I said, I'm going to ride with granny, whatever. So I ran to follow granny. Well, then I decided never mind. I'm gonna fall. I'm gonna go with mom and dad. Well, while I was with granny, mom and dad left, and I went over to mom and dad's side, and granny left because she thought I had caught up with mom and dad. And so they pull up to a stoplight, and my parents hold in the window like, "Tony's with you, right?" And my granny's like, "No, he said he was coming back to your side." And I'm standing in the, on the sidewalk in the parking lot at granny's place as a four-year-old in Miami, uh, you know. So they came back and got me. It was fine. I'm here. I made it. So. Um, but, but the point was, I needed help because I was four. I couldn't get to church on my own. I needed somebody's help. I had to get in a car with Granny, or I had to get in a car with mom and dad. But either way, I needed help. And so, so whoever it was that got you, that, that helped you get to hear about Jesus, they brought you to church. They might have told, read the Bible to you when you were a kid, or whatever it may be they did. Somebody helped you. So then the question becomes who are you going to help? The question becomes, who are you going to help get in front of Jesus? You see, there's another story. This is my last story for the night, I think. It's back in the day, and there's a man who had come over from Europe. He had immigrated from Europe. And uh, the plan was he was going to come ahead, was going to get set up, find a place to live, all kind of, you know, get that stuff, and then send for his family, right? You know, this was very common. Uh, back in those days. And so the man came and he spent several months getting, he found a job and he found a place to live. And so he builds up some money. So he sends for his family. He says, all right, you guys can go ahead and come over, come over to America. And so his family gets on the boat from Europe and, you know, and they're traveling through the North Atlantic and, you know, it's cold up in the North Atlantic and there's icebergs, right? That's where the Titanic sank. So so, but there's a, there's a lot of ship traffic. This is back in the days before planes and so there's lots of lots and lots of ship traffic. And so they're traveling through through the North Atlantic and and this boat that this man's family was on hits an iceberg and sinks. Now, there were other ships in the area. This isn't the Titanic, but it's a similar story. The Titanic wasn't the only one that ever sank. And so there are other ships in the area. And 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 they all had seen the iceberg, but for some reason this particular ship their sonar something wasn't working they didn't know and so they did an investigation to find out you know what what the heck happened how did this how did this ship hit this iceberg how you know how did nobody tell it none of the other ships that saw this iceberg none of them know and it turned out all the there's three or four other ships they all thought well that ship will warn them the other guy will warn them they were all expecting somebody else to send out the radio warning and yet nobody did and because of that, this man was left to wonder why his family had drowned. Because nobody wanted to warn them. No, everybody thought somebody else would send out the warning. You know, back in the day, uh, show up that next picture. Show up that next picture. Anybody know what this is called? Anybody know what that thing is called? The crow's nest, yeah. This is called the crow's nest. And it's go to the next one, too. It's, the, it's this basket up at the top of a ship back in the day where the guy would look out, you know, and he'd be like, iceberg dead ahead or land ho or Leviathan or whatever. You know, he would, he would get up there and he would, he would say, he would keep watch. And he, his job up there, the guy in the crow's nest, the job of that guy is to warn the people down below on the ship when there is danger. He was a watchman. Okay, Ezekiel 33 says this, Son of man, I have made you, this is God talking to us, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. This is where it really gets to the nitty gritty. When I say to the wicked, you wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not speak out to dissuade them from their ways, that wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person to turn from their ways, and they do not do so, they will die for their sin, though you yourself will be saved. So in other words, if you know Jesus and you don't tell people about them, their souls are on your head. Okay? You say, if I know Jesus and I don't tell my friends and family or whoever about Jesus and they die and they don't ever meet Jesus and they end up in hell, that's on us. We have to tell people about Jesus. If they if you tell them and they ignore you, that's on them, okay? That's you know, that's a that's on them they, they've heard. You are called to sound the alarm. You are called to make sure people know about Jesus. It is your job to warn people. Anybody know who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. What else did Luke write? Wrote of the book of the Bible? Luke. Right. So this guy named Luke wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is a sequel to Luke. They actually go together. Um, Luke and Acts go together, and and Luke was a doctor who wrote these, and both of these books were letters to a man named Theophilus. Okay, Theophilus. That's fun to say. It sounds like a, Theophilus. That sounds like a like a Sesame Street character, like Snuffleupagus or something. I don't know. Theophilus, you know. So Theophilus is a rich dude, and, and and Luke writes to tell him about Jesus. The whole point of Luke and Acts is so that Luke can tell this dude Theophilus about Jesus. Now, you might have heard somebody say, and probably heard me say, that like Paul wrote half the New Testament. The Apostle Paul wrote more than half the New Testament, and by number of books, that is true. He wrote more books than anybody else um, in the in really, I think, the whole Bible. Um, But a lot of his were really short. A lot of his books were short. Luke wrote these really long books. They both got like 28, 30 chapters. Acts has 28, and Luke has in that vicinity of 28, 29, something like that. Um, And so Luke actually wrote more words than Paul did by like 5,000. It's actually quite a bit. Luke wrote 37,000 words of the New Testament. Okay, Luke wrote 37,000 words of the New Testament. Now, Luke wrote that many words. Right? Like, that's a lot of writing. And Luke wrote 37,000 words just so this one guy, so that Theophilus would have the chance to know Jesus. That's the whole reason he wrote it. It wasn't, you know, he didn't know it was going to be in the Bible. He didn't know what the Bible was. He was just writing a letter to tell this Theophilus guy about Jesus so that Theophilus could get to know Jesus, could, you know, come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and a faith in Jesus. And so, if Luke was willing to write 30, I can't even, like, get my mind around that many words because, like, the longest paper I ever wrote in college was, like, three pages. Like, I had a, I had a good major that didn't require a lot of writing, thank goodness. Um, some of y'all like to write, and that's weird. But, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a little weird, but that's okay. So, like, like you wrote, like, okay, Ashton, your paper, your, your book chapter that you wrote for, for fine arts was, what, 1,200 words? Was that the minimum? Was it 15? I thought it was... Okay, okay. So she wrote fifteen hundred words for her her book for, for her book chapter for fine arts. So thirty seven thousand is like twenty times what she wrote. Twenty twenty two times or so. Okay, that's a lot. Like he wrote so much, also that one dude could know Jesus. Now, I'm not asking you to write thirty seven thousand words so that somebody can know Jesus. Okay, but but what will you do? Would you start a conversation with somebody? You buy somebody a meal maybe so that they can get to know Jesus? I want to show one more video here that gives you a little bit of a practical knowledge about how to invite someone to church. Wes, give it to us.
1: It seems like a simple problem. Your friends are over here and you want them to come over here. But somehow, this seems absolutely frustratingly, terrifyingly uh, impossible. Well, we're going to help you navigate this feat with five ways to get your friends to church. Are you ready? Taking notes? Start taking notes. Okay, great. Let's do this. Alright, number five, peer pressure. Get 10 other friends to stand around them. The bigger the better walk up and say you're going to church if they refuse have everyone start yelling at them until they go this is extremely effective number four use a llama to do this you need a really well-trained llama get your friend to get on the llama then cue to run all the way to the church bam you have a friend to church and a llama to take you to prom number three Hire the president to do it. I mean, if you have the money and the connections to make this happen, yeah, you need to do this. That would be totally awesome. Number two, bribe. This works a lot. Say you'll buy them a breakfast burrito before church, or a breakfast burrito after church, or a breakfast burrito during church. People like food and are usually totally down for free food, especially breakfast burritos, duh. And the number one best way to get your friends to church, ask, you need to ask. They are your friends. It's okay to ask and be persistent. Your friends may never come to church if you don't just simply ask. It doesn't have to be perfect and you don't need to have all the answers to their questions. Invite them, offer to give them a ride. If they say no, it's okay, but you should try though. Who knows maybe they're waiting for you to ask you can do it
0: for the record don't do the peer pressure one like that all right you right, gonna have multiple friends ask but don't get all weird about it like that you know that was that was that was funny the last two were totally reasonable though offer them food they'll come to church it's amazing when you tell them hey we have free dinner before church you, you'd be surprised okay um Llama, the llama one is totally reasonable. That's true. If you have a really well-trained llama. No. So here's the thing. We're going to give you guys a chance to put this into practice. Okay. You know, I like to do that. You know, we don't just talk about theoretical things here. We're going to put some stuff into practice. So next week, we're going to have what we're calling compel night. Okay. Compel night. Now, In Luke 14, 23, the Bible says this. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. This is Jesus telling a parable. He's saying, go out and compel people to come to my feast. Again, the life to the full we talked about earlier. Okay, now you say, what does compel mean? Compel means to cause, to do, or occur by overwhelming pressure. So this isn't just, hey, you want to come to church, and when they say no, you give up right? That's not compelling. That's barely asking. So, you know what? Yes, we want you to not be mean. Again, don't, don't be jerk about it. Don't, you know, don't be that guy or girl. But, you know, like say, hey, you know, you can ask him more than once and you can say, hey, listen, I'll, we'll feed you. We've got, I've got a really fun game planned for next week, okay? Um, if you watch Jimmy Fallon, you may have seen, it's not, it's not the box of lies like we did last week, but it's, a, it's another good fun game um, that we'll have opportunity to play several times, get several people in. And so we want to compel our friends to come to church. Okay, we want to compel our friends to come to church. We're going to have compel night next week. There are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. There are 13 of y'all here tonight, and we can probably all think of another handful that aren't here. Now, here's the deal. I was talking with Fernanda Diane a few weeks ago. And they convinced me to, to offer this. If we get 30 people here next week, that's more than, that's approximately one friend per person. If we get 30 people here next week, we'll go, Renan Diana said they know a guy in Lubbock who can shave letters into your head. And I will get chosen Jen shaved into the back of my head. Okay? And I'll wear it, I'll have it like that, you know, for church, for whatever okay uh yes i'll be in public you know for whatever other occasions may come up until it grows out and i have to get the whole haircut but yeah if we have 30 people here next week i will get chosen gen shaved in the back of my head okay so so that's the deal here's what we're going to do here's how we're going to close the night out so everybody's going to get two name tags okay you're going to think of a friend that you want to invite for next week okay You've probably already been thinking of somebody in this whole conversation. that's great. Um, so you are going to think of a friend you want to bring, you're going to write their name on two different name tags. And once you've got once you've got that written down, the same name on two, if you have more friends, you can do that. But for each name, you've got to do two, okay? You're going to take one of those, and you're going to peel it off, and you're going to come up here. You're going to put it on one of our two trees, okay? We've had these trees up here. Next week is the last week of our Once Upon a Time series, and so the trees will be coming down very soon. And so, uh, and so you're going to write the name down on two of them. You're going to take one of those off, and you're going to come up here and put it on a tree, so you can do that whenever you're ready, okay? If you've got the name written down on one, just stick it anywhere on the tree, Wherever you would like to is fine, okay? On either tree. We've got two trees. You can put it on either one. Yeah, right now. You can come up here and do it. The other one where you've got their name written down, it's still stuck to the the paper. You're going to keep that one, okay? And it's going to remind you to pray for them. What that's going to do, these names up here. It's a public testament. You're saying this is the person I'm going to bring. And the name that you're keeping, that's going to remind you to do it. And that way they have a name tag next week when they get here. All right? They already have a name tag ready to go. We'll all have a name tags so that everybody can wear, wear their names. So, so we're about to pray. Okay, we're gonna go ahead and pray. And I'm gonna pray over these names, and y'all be praying for your friend. You got a whole week to pray and invite, okay? And so next week, 30 people, I go get chosen Jen shaved in the back of my head. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this night. I thank you for these students, God, and for their heart, for their friends. I see so many names up here. Um, God, I see Jeff, and I see Marissa, and I see Zach, and John, and Adrian, and Ian, and Felicia. God, and I, I pray for Alejandra, and, and Alex, and Sky and J.C. and Amanda, and Alyssa, and Sabrina, and Zach, and Jezebel, and Graciel, and Cassie Cashel. God, I just pray that, I pray for all these names. God, you know who the names are, even if I can't pronounce them, God, and I just pray right now that even now, a week before, uh, a week before our compel night, God, that you would let them begin to soften, that their hearts would go ahead and begin to soften now, and so... God, just that you would begin to do a work in their heart. I pray for our students, God, that they would have courage to speak up when the time comes. I pray that you would give them opportunities for conversations, Lord, and they would not be afraid to start those conversations when that time comes, Lord. God, I just pray over next Wednesday, Lord, that let me be effective in bringing the message. Let, Let everything we do go towards pointing people to you, God, and we pray that it would be a great harvest, Lord, that we would not be so selfish in knowing that we got help, but we're not willing to give it to somebody else. God, I pray like, the, like that song we've sung sometimes says, God, break our hearts for what break yours, and we know that lost people break your heart, and so I pray that we would not be able to go this week without thinking, without, without praying for them, God, and then next week we would see uh, an incredible harvest, and we would see people come to know you, God, above and above all else, God. We thank you and we praise you. In his name we pray, amen.